This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh. There it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The search for meaning is one all of us wrestle with at one point or another. Why am I here? What am I meant to do? Who am I supposed to be? Some find purpose in their work and careers, others in their families and relationships, most a combination of the above. For Thomas More, the answers to the big questions weren't so easy to come by, so he went looking for them. His travels brought him to places of worship and pilgrimage in the UK, across Europe and beyond. It was during one of these trips to Italy in 2003 that he vanished. Almost two decades later, his family are still doing everything in their power to find him and bring him home. When he went away on these journeys, he would be the master of his own destiny and and in charge of his own survival and responsible for himself. And I, I, uh, I respect that and I relate to that. 
I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds, and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Thomas More. Tom used to go off on biblical-themed adventures or, or, or quests. And he used to end up in some really weird uh, situations and often without any money, um, without any possessions, and have to be sort of rescued or brought back. That's Ben, Tom's younger brother. Ben is an artist and curator who, on more than one occasion, found himself jumping into his car or hopping on a plane to bring his brother home. I used to go and look for him myself and um, I found him once in in Glasgow in a, a shelter for the homeless and um, I then went and found him in, in Bosnia in uh, Mezhigorje which is like a place where the Virgin Mary is, is, is known to have appeared, an apparition as they call it. Tom was a deeply religious person and it was a combination of his faith and innate curiosity that saw him embark on these quests for meaning. When he went away on these journeys, he would be the master of his own destiny and, and in charge of his own survival and responsible for himself. And I think that was the people he used to meet and the experiences that used to happen and just the, just the whole buzz of traveling and the new culture and landscape. Tom was born in 1971 to parents Ian and Jenny. Ian was an officer in the Royal Marines. So we had moved around a lot from military base to military base. We lived in Scotland, we lived in Devon, we lived in London. And eventually, like most forces children, we were put into boarding school because from an education perspective, it's not healthy to just keep on moving your kids from school to school. Tom was the second of four children. As well as Ben, who was seven years his junior, he had another younger brother, Simon, and an older sister, Diana. As a young kid, he was my role model. I used to follow him everywhere. And as every younger brother idolises his older brother, and that's how I was with, with my older brother. The family eventually settled down in East Sheen, a suburb in southwest London. Ben has few memories of Tom from those early days, but the ones he does have are wholly positive. He was always a very good brother to me. He, he would always be showing me new stuff, so he'd be building a den in the garden and showing me that. He used to bring me back uh, like toys from his school like Star Wars figures and things that, that I took very seriously at the time. And um, he, he was a very generous soul. Tom was very well read and had a thirst for knowledge. He was deeply intelligent, way more intelligent than me. He read so many books and he was so well learnt. He used to study um, all the great philosophers like Nietzsche and... He's so well read. I mean, he's read hundreds of books. 
When he turned 13, Tom went to Sherburne, a boarding school in Dorset. Sherburne itself is, is a beautiful place in the world and um, it's, it's actually a, a brilliant school, I, I, I believe. The issue with Tom was that he was, always, he was always quite small for his age, so he was always forever having to prove himself. And he, he did get a bit of a hard time at Sherborne. When things were tough at school, Tom found solace in music. He was always a very musical person, so I always remember him playing music from a very early age and wonderfully talented. In the early days, was a, a French horn player and then later on in life, traded in the French horn for a guitar and always had a wonderful singing voice and just a fantastic way of being able to pick up and understand music. He was always able to, to belt out a song and often it'd be really religious and godly, but still it just had the most incredible singing voice. And I'll never, I'll never forget that about him. After leaving Sherburn with a strong set of A-levels and several university place offers in his back pocket, Tom decided to take a year out. He went to India to teach English and do some travelling. The trip left a lasting impression on him. I feel like he expanded his mind in the way that he was amongst like real poverty. Uh, he was in Kolkata... And I think having traveled myself and from what I've experienced myself, when you are around that kind of intensity of culture, which goes way beyond anything you've ever seen before in your own life and in your own understanding of what you thought the world was, can really change you as a person, as a 19 year old. You know, he met Mother Teresa in Kolkata, looking after orphan children. He, he'd, he'd seen things that he, he could not unsee. And I think it had a profound effect on, on his personality. Upon returning to the UK, Tom went on to study theology at Lancaster University, where, like many students, he experimented. I believe during that period he became, you know, under the influence of marijuana and LSD. I think the mixture of, of him doing theology and, and being so religiously minded and, and being so involved in God mixed with doing mind-altering drugs um, convinced him that he was right in whatever he thought and he became very paranoid and delusional. My sister went up to visit him and could see quite clearly that he, he was um, not in a good way and, and, and his friends and his fellow peers backed that up. Tom ended up leaving university after his first year and returning home. His parents suggested that it might be a good idea to shift his focus to something more practical. And so he trained to be a tree surgeon for a time. During this period, Tom doubled down on his faith. He was raised Roman Catholic, but his religious devotion was something he came to largely on his own. I've never really 
consider my parents as being particularly religious. You go to church just like any other family, like Easter's and Christmas's, you know. But not we wouldn't go to church routinely. It's not something that's so much enforced by my family, but through being born Catholic, you know, we were sent to Catholic schools and, and being surrounded by nuns and uh, being brought up in that in that way. So the the presence of God was always prominent in in our consciousness. Tom started acting out in unexpected ways. He borrowed my uh, my Walkman, which was one of my favourite things. It was an aisle Walkman that I'd had for a couple of years, and um, he sort of destroyed it or given it away. I can't remember what. But I remember it was around that period when I thought, fuck, like, he, you know, he's just, just ditched, like, one of my my most treasured possessions. His behaviour became increasingly erratic. He wasn't having enough sleep. He was staying awake too long. He wasn't eating. And he was getting so involved in his preachings and, and what he believed in. Tom was becoming more and more evangelical, preaching endlessly to anyone who'd listen. Deeply concerned for his well-being, Tom's family had him placed in a mental health facility in Roehampton. I always remember the night when he was sectioned. So essentially, when, you, when you're sectioned, it basically means that you are no longer answerable to yourself. I remember the, the men in white coats, as they call them, Literally, the men in white coats turned up to our door and took my brother away. And uh, I'll never forget that. I'll never, I'll never forget that night. Uh, I, cry, I, I cried so deeply that night. Tom was ultimately diagnosed with schizophrenia. He was prescribed medication and eventually returned home, where for a time Ben noticed a marked difference in his brother. It was like literally having a lodger in your house. He could say the basics, he could do the basics, but he, he was a ghost of his former self. It's a bit like one flew over the cuckoo's nest after Jack Nicholson's had the electric shock treatment. It's, it's not really Jack Nicholson anymore. One day, whilst alone in the family home, Tom received some unexpected visitors. The Mormon church, they used to come round, um, as they still do, a bit like Jehovah's Witnesses. They'd knock on your door. And um, they did knock on our door, and, and, and he was there at the time. And instead of doing what everyone else would, would normally do, which is go, yeah, thanks, not interested, he was like, come in, come and have a cup of tea. And he got indoctrinated into the Mormon church. Whilst initially wary of the church's presence in their son's life, Tom's family saw that the social circle and structure it offered was something he could potentially benefit from. They actually provided company for him at the time because otherwise he was just like alone on medication at home. And, and what the Mormon church did was to invite him in. It was around this time that Tom's pilgrimages began. I think these trips were like um, for him, um, huge source of fulfillment because otherwise 
the alternative wasn't that great. I mean, the alternative was to just be um, stationed at, at, at the flat that the council or the NHS had, had given him uh, in Richmond and to be expected to take medication. You know, there, there wasn't really any particularly fulfilling lifestyle there. Tom travelled to places of worship in France, America and Bosnia. He would typically leave without telling anyone where he was going and would often have to be brought back by his family when he ran out of money. For Ben, these rescues were never an imposition. He looks back on them as bonding experiences for him and his brother. When I went out there to Bosnia, we didn't just come straight back to England. We, uh, we, we travelled back across land slowly. Uh, you know, we were away for a good couple of weeks. And we went through Italy and all sorts. Yeah, it was a great, great old adventure we had. By 2003, Tom, now in his 30s, had moved into a flat in Richmond. We used to play chess occasionally and we, uh, we embarked on a game and we're both pretty good at chess. And uh, I, I was beating him, actually. I was winning. And I think he just... Um, he said, look, let's put it on hold. It was a magnetic chessboard as well, so it's quite easy to, to keep games on hold. And he said, Let, let's put it on hold and we'll finish it off next time I see you. That would be the last time that Ben saw his brother. There wasn't no, no clue, no idea that he was going anywhere at all. He might not have even known himself. One day in July... Shortly after returning from a family holiday in Cornwall, Tom's parents came home to find that he'd gone. He had left behind a note which read, I'm going away for some time and I don't know when I shall be coming back. None of us were particularly worried because we just thought I'd go and find him again. Nevertheless, they wanted to find out where he was heading and they made a request to Tom's bank for his transaction history. A bank statement came through the door of the flat and it was um, HSBC and it, it, it showed that there'd been a, tr a cash transaction in Ancona in Italy for, I can't remember like how many euros, maybe it was 200 euros. Ancona, a city in northern Italy with a population of roughly 100,000, was familiar to the family. Tom had passed through there before on another one of his pilgrimages. Dancona was the ferry port that we used to use to go into Croatia, which then takes you to, to Bosnia, Medjugorje. Ben had tracked Tom down in Medjugorje earlier that year. My parents hadn't seen him for about a month. They contacted me and said, do you know where he is? And I was actually... Uh, on the east coast of America at the time. I just sent him a, a friendly email. And at the time, one of my friends had a cap and on his cap was written, Jesus is my homeboy. It was kind of like some sort of New York slogan or something. And I just ended my email with that, knowing that Tom would appreciate it. That sort of triggered him to confide in me whereabouts he was. So from there, I just set out and found him very quickly in that town. Um, found him in the internet cafe. Ben was confident he could find him again. So I presumed that that was the route he was taking again. So 
that summer I had to go and film a wedding in France. And then after I filmed that, I just started making my way back to Bosnia, where I was convinced he was going to be. I was just going to the different churches, just basically get, getting in amongst the locals. Uh, and what was strange is that I did actually come across people who knew Tom from when I'd found him before, who knew him from back then. And then just getting people's advice on where else I should ask and, and putting up posters around the, uh, around the town. Ben's search was ultimately unsuccessful and he returned home. Ian and Jenny were in dialogue with both the UK and Italian authorities at this point, as well as Interpol. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. They made their own journey over to Ancona that September, and the family started engaging with the Italian media to raise awareness about Tom's disappearance. We started working with the Italian TV program called Kilo Visto, which means have you seen them? And they they started to put his, his face out all over Italy. The Moors made numerous trips to Italy, working with the program Kilo Visto and chasing down leads. Every visit seemed to bring them closer and closer to finding him. On one occasion, a policeman reported seeing a man like Tom falling to his knees outside on one hot summer's day. On another, a man working in the gift shop of the Black Madonna Shrine, south of Ancona, recalled seeing someone who resembled Tom camping. Courting the media, whilst great for shedding light on Tom's case, was not without its drawbacks, however. The thing about getting the media involved is that people just... They want to be on television, so a lot of the time they were saying that they think they've seen him and often it, they would have seen someone, but it's more like I'd rather them call in than not call in, but a lot of the time it's just fueled by their desire to want to be seen you know, on television by millions of, of Italians. So whilst a lot of calls came in offering up information on Tom, not everyone getting in touch was acting in good faith. Yeah, I mean, I came up with like sort of techniques of of weeding out like the ones that are actually genuine. And one thing I used to do is go, you know, and signal with my hand to make it appear that I, he was really tall. So I'd say, was he really tall? As if to, you know, uh, suggest that he was tall. And often they'd be like, yeah, 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 he was really tall. And then I would know that that's not him because Tom was always notoriously small. But eventually, in November 2004, there was a breakthrough. A sighting reported to Kilavisto led the Moore family to a shelter run by Franciscan monks in Milan. St Francis was someone who was very important to Tom. He would often talk about St Francis and, and so Assisi was um, an obvious spot. And sure enough, 
this uh, Franciscan monk described Tom perfectly and just was able to act, reenact his sort of the way that Tom moved and and acted, and it was just like a perfect description. I just knew it was Tom, and all the details of his height, how he couldn't speak Italian, how he acted, how he's holding the rosary, all these little details that just just matched up perfectly. The monk told them that a man matching Tom's description had stayed in the shelter for a month in February of 2004, six months after Tom had first gone missing. It was a huge relief for a number of reasons. Whilst the family knew Tom was well capable of looking after himself on these excursions, the summer of 2003 had been a notable one. Europe was hit by a heatwave, which at the time was the hottest summer on record in almost 400 years, resulting in over 20,000 deaths across the continent. This was followed by a particularly cold winter. The family had feared for a time that Ben may have died during these periods of extreme weather. So to hear he had been spotted in February gave them hope that they would all eventually be reunited. They arranged for posters of Tom to be distributed to abbeys and monasteries across Italy, hoping that someone would recognise him. Sadly, the trail went cold from there. Years passed, and wanting to do whatever he could to keep the search for his brother alive, Ben put together a website, Missing Tom, where people could submit tips. In 2015, he tapped into his artistic sensibilities to get as many eyeballs on it as possible. Ben put together an art show which garnered so much attention it was featured on Sky News. A life-size sculpture showing the crucifixion of musician Pete Doherty is going up for auction next week. The money raised will be used to search for a man who's been missing for more than 10 years. But there is outrage that the sculpture right now is hanging in a church. The controversial piece was part of a larger exhibition that Ben curated, featuring established contemporary artists. My mission is is actually to create publicity, which is going to bring the focus back to my brother and create a, a sort of media debate, a debate with amongst the public and the media, which then directs the attention back to Tom. And this story went, you know, what we filmed in there sort of went viral. It was on the front page of the Enemy website. And the video got seen, you know, thousands of times. And through all this, this media attention, all of a sudden, all these sightings of Tom start to flood through in, in, into the uh, missing Tom email account. So I was getting like hundreds and hundreds of emails from people who were saying they thought he might have seen, they might have seen Tom. One of those emails was particularly promising. There was one particular sighting and it was in... Sarajevo and, and, and Sarajevo is significant because it's it's literally a stone's throw away from Mezgorje and and so we actually followed up on, on that sighting we myself and my parents set off to Sarajevo didn't eventuate in, in us finding Tom but it gave me more clues and more ideas about how to look for him on the ground and when you actually get to, to a place and, and how you extend the search and how you get the local media involved and 
how you work with the locals to, you know, search for him. And it was also a very bonding experience with, with myself and my parents to go on this journey together. In 2017, Tom's photo was featured as part of a performance on Britain's Got Talent by the Missing People Choir, who we previously mentioned in our episode on the disappearance of Lee Boxell. Tom's photo was broadcast as part of a montage of missing people from the UK on an episode of the hugely popular reality TV show. It coincided with a sighting in Italy. A video sent by a schoolboy in Milan of an English-speaking homeless man who bore a striking resemblance to Tom was sent to the Moore family. The 15-year-old had spotted the man sleeping rough in a flower bed and, concerned for his well-being, phoned an ambulance. The man in question walked off before it arrived, but not before the boy managed to capture a video of him on his phone. It was the best lead they had received in years, and Tom's parents travelled to Milan to follow it up. Sadly, after four days of searching, they were unable to locate him. Ben followed up on the tip with a trip of his own sometime later. I think we actually found the person who they thought was Tom, which I always like to do, you know, okay, it's not him. But then if you go without being able to do that, then it leaves you with this sort of question mark, was it Tom, was it not Tom? But to go over and actually be able to follow the process through so you can actually cross it off the list to me is important because I've noticed with the sightings that each time there is a sighting, it's getting closer and closer to actually how Tom looks. And at, at one stage, it's my belief that it will just match up and it'll be like, oh, there we go, it is him. <laughs> Whether it's partnering with Italian media companies, having Tom's picture prominently displayed on UK television, or even doing an interview for this very podcast, all of these efforts to locate Tom come at a personal cost for the family. You're compromised through having to spill your entire story and family privacy to some media organisation. But to be honest, if it results in finding Tom, then I'm up for it, you know. Most recently, in January 2021, Ben received a phone call from the police. And was told that someone with my brother's name, who had given my brother's identity, had been found dead and they wanted me to come and identify the body. And they told me that on Friday evening, they said, will you come in on Monday? For Ben, that weekend felt like an eternity. And I had to be really disciplined with myself because I really wanted to tell my parents because I was having to go through it by myself but then I thought you know what just go and identify see if it is and then tell them you know when you know if it is or not and so it was a difficult weekend for me to get through. Photographs had been sent to a UK police station for Ben to examine. He arrived there on the Monday morning filled with dread. I was very relieved as soon as I saw the, the, the picture I knew it wasn't him. He'd obviously had a pretty gruesome end because his face was not in, in a good way. A man found dead in Rome who had been going by the name Tom Moore. Surely this couldn't be a coincidence. 
Ben was relieved when he saw the pictures. It wasn't his brother. But it seemed odd to him that another man called Tom Moore had been found dead there. Was that really his name? Or was it that someone who knew Tom and Tom's story had taken his identity to stay hidden? The man was eventually identified as a former university lecturer from Slovakia. Could he have known Tom at one point? Might they have crossed paths? I started to think what would be the links between where this guy used to work and my brother. And it turned out there was this place called the Holy Mountain, which was a stone's throw from the university where this man used to teach. And then I started to research the Holy Mountain. And essentially the Holy Mountain was a a place a bit like Mezhigorye, a bit like Lourdes, where an old farmer um, during the Second World War period had had an apparition and seen the, the, the Holy Mary you know, come to him in the, up in the mountain and people got to hear about it. The fact that this man, who had been using Tom's name as an alias, had a connection, however loose, to a site of pilgrimage, gave Ben reason to believe he may have known his brother. Sadly, it's a lead that remains frustratingly open-ended. Ben thinks his brother's faith makes the possibility of suicide highly unlikely. And as such, he has no reason to believe that Tom isn't still out there somewhere. I strongly believe that he is still alive because I never have thought that he would at any point go, right, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to let myself die. He is so profoundly respectful of, of those scriptures that he would never even dare do that. It's, it's not an option for him. He used to be a huge believer in, in fasting and he did it in a religious way. As a result, would become very thin. But I actually think that, that in his current state of wandering the earth as a pilgrim, it would have held him in very good stead to have that discipline of being able to go for like two or three days without eating. If Tom has made a new life for himself, that's a decision Ben can understand. Just know that my mission is not to just go and get him and, 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 and take him away. My mission is just to go and see him and be with him and, and talk to him. It's not necessarily to like change everything that he has built for himself or, or the situation that he's in. It's just to go and make sure he's okay, he's safe. Uh, and really for my parents, if uh, my mum and dad could have see him or know that he's around or just have a message or just some sort of interaction with him would be a huge thing. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Tom, or you remember seeing someone like him in Italy, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Tom Moore before listening to this episode, you could still help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we featured in the series. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases, 
with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. The series is also made with the help of missing people who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. You can reach them by calling or texting 116-000 or by emailing them at 116-000 at missingpeople.org.uk. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Ben hopes that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.